You're listening to audio from the Portland Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to our ministry, please visit www.portlandchurch.org. Hey, everybody. Uh, Welcome to our midweek service here with the Portland Church. And we're uh, really happy and excited tonight. We've got a special guest with us, Frank Williams uh, from Boise, Idaho. And uh, I can honestly say as a friend, Frank and I haven't known each other for years and years and years and years like a number of us have. Uh, But in the few short years we've known each other, uh, Frank has proven himself over and over to be not just a great brother, Uh, but a dear friend. Uh, He's got a big heart for the Lord and a super big heart uh, for brothers and sisters. Uh, If I was to sum up uh, any one thing that I know about Frank, uh, being uh, being united and loving one another is is a passion for him. And uh, I just think we're very, very lucky to to be close. You know, out in the Wild West where we live, uh, Boise is like a next door neighbor. It's only, you know, uh, 17 hours. No, it's, it's six hours. It's a six hour drive from here. And, uh, for, uh, for California, Washington, Oregon, Idaho, uh, parts West of the Mississippi, uh, that's almost like living just next door. But one of the wonderful things, uh, one of the few wonderful things about this quarantine situation is we are able to take advantage of, uh, in spite of the fact that though we are by Western standards close, we don't get to see each other that much. Uh, but these days we are in pretty good communication and having an opportunity to have guests come in and talk to us uh, is just a real blessing. Uh, Frank, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, doing well. Good to see you and to be with the family in Portland. I love, I love your, I love the family there. So thank you. Brad. Lean, lean forward. You said your beard is longer than, than mine. I yep. said, it, it, I, I think you got me. I yeah. think, I think, yeah, I think you, you got me, but you're going to shave yours is what, or trim it up. I'm going to thin it out because yeah. I feel like it's just getting way, way too long, too thick. Things are uh, over in Idaho. You guys have been sheltered too, but I think uh, you shared are things opening up there a little bit sooner. You mentioned going to a barber or something. So Idaho Idahoans by nature, and I was going to share this in a minute, uh, have not sheltered in place. We have, we've just been out running around mountain biking, hiking. Uh, yeah, stores have been shut down, but, uh, people have not. Mm-hmm. So, well, we're, we're, we're back in, I think all the way. Well, and there's one of the advantages to having the germs six hours away. But at any rate, it's uh, it's so good to see you tonight. And uh, I was very eager to have you come join us and give us a lesson. You were very eager to do it. Uh, how about go ahead, take it away. Okay. Well, I, I first of all, again, I want to just say thank you for allowing me to be a part of your gathering tonight. I, I do love the church in Portland. Uh, I love Steve and Lisa deeply. Um, you know, the thing I love most about our relationship is that not we're not, uh, we don't think alike, we don't uh, talk alike, but there is a real special bond that, that we have. And when we gather, 
uh, in Portland in their living room. Uh, it's real family. And uh, Steve and Lisa are uh, good, deep, dear friends. And uh, because of them uh, and their love for me and my family and even Steve coming out to visit uh, here in Idaho, we are uh, we're just grateful for the partnership that we have between the two churches in the Northwest. So I'm just very honored and humbled uh, and would do anything for you, your church. Uh, Boise, the Treasure Valley Church is deeply committed uh, to our relationship and our partnership moving forward. So just want you to know we love you guys all very so very much. Uh, that that hasn't always been my my mindset. Um, you know, I, like I said, on May 29th, the first uh, case of this virus, and I won't say much about it after this, broke out on May 29th, and everybody freaked out and wanted to call off service. I didn't, um, and you know whether I'm just young and dumb, I'm not sure. But we we did, and and you know a handful met in the in the room, and um, you know. Idahoans are fiercely independent, and the flag that I see flying around the state the most is "Don't tread on me," and uh, I love that. Um, um, that's a good thing, and it's also been a bad thing for me. My my favorite animal, just to kind of give you a little bit of insight into who I am, is the honey badger, and uh, I just love the tenacity. Um, I love the the you know the unwillingness to back away even from a bigger predator than itself. Um, but I also love the fact that they really deeply love their, their little babies. And so, you know, I think all, for all of my life, I have tried to really understand the balance between, uh, passion and what is, what would I would say is anger. And I, I, by nature, am a very angry man. I have been for a very long time. And just let me explain that to you for a minute. Um, I am angry, um, but now for the right reason. Uh, let me start with the bad. When I was baptized in Denver in, I think, 1994. Uh, I grew up not caring very much for denominational Christianity. I am not a Church of Christ uh, kid or kingdom kid. Or, you know, I, I grew up questioning, even when I was in the Southern Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, why Paul and Peter and Andrew had their own church buildings and were not meeting together. Uh, so I have long struggled with why are there so many different churches, denominations? And so when I came to the to the church in Denver, uh, I came in angry and I was deeply uh, challenged when I walked in the room and there were disciples sitting on the living room, singles, holding hands and singing. And I immediately went after them and said, somebody in this room is smoking something. There's got to be immoral behavior. Somebody's got to be doing something that I'm doing because I was deeply threatened by their, I don't know even what to say, their faith and their love. And the way they responded to a hardened man and a broken man like me was with absolute love. I mean, they were absolutely unyielding, always trying to invite me to go hiking. And I knew something was up, but um, I was just moved by the the love. And in fact, one of the things that inspired me most was a story in South Africa when the church, I believe, and I don't know the story very well, but I just remember hearing that both black and white thumbed their nose at the government. There, there's probably a little bit in my heart uh, about meeting together. And they did. They came together. They thumbed their nose at apartheid. Uh, and they said, hey, we're going to love each other. And that just blew me away. And that's what I've been looking for uh, you know, in a church. I wanted to see that solidarity, that love. And so I got baptized in January of 94. In a week after being baptized, I found 1 Corinthians 12. 
and much to the chagrin of the current singles leader, I pulled the singles together because I couldn't help but share what I had found in First Corinthians 12. I, it blew me away that the body so very different in its makeup, different talents and gifts could come together. And uh, I went into the ministry then in L.A. in 2000, and I really began to kind of lose my way. Um, that anger shifted from being angry at what Satan was doing to picking the wrong fight with my brothers and sisters. And I feel like since 2006, up until I moved to Boise 10 years later uh, in 2016, I have been fighting the wrong fight. Satan has got me duped. And as Shane Engel said, the most important thing about my friends is they keep me fighting the right fight. And uh, that that is so true. And I just I really lost my 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 focus on Jesus. And I began to pick the wrong fight with my brothers and sisters theologically. And uh, so my life took a real hard turn. God took me to Las Vegas, broke me down, moved me to Boise, Idaho. And uh, I didn't come up here to be an evangelist. I needed to come up here and find Jesus. And Jesus was here as he's always been, met me and would not allow me to go any further until my heart broke and my eyes were opened. And I really fell in love with him again deeply. And like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, a passage that I hold dear and near to my heart because I believe motivation is everything, starting with that. Uh, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ Jesus and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life that I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I think somewhere along the way, I lost sight that Jesus, my faith was locked in on the Son of God who loved me. And that has become a passion for me, number one, to convince anyone that will listen that they are dearly loved children. Whether you're in Boise, Idaho or Portland, Oregon, uh, what happens in Portland and in Vegas doesn't stay in either city. This needs to be spread throughout the world that we are dearly loved children and you and I are a part of the greatest organization the world has ever known, will ever know or ever see. And I think sometimes we just lose sight of the beauty of the, the redeemed church, the, the in, far beyond the ICOC borders, but the people of God that have been chosen by him, that are dearly loved by him and will be all the way to the end. And what has changed in my heart most importantly is my view of God's view of me is that God is not out to condemn me. God is out to reconcile me. God is about reconciliation. My propensity is to condemn and I need to fight that every day. But I want to just inspire you, church, tonight that you and I are dearly loved children. And the most important thing about you and I, the kind of people we need to be every day, the kind of people we need to be when we wake up in the morning is to strengthen that resolve, that faith, that you and I have faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. So that no matter what Satan throws at us, I don't care if it's Corona 19 to 29, we are dearly loved people. And, and in doing so, from that love, that love compels us to be the good Samaritans that live out the Great Commission. That We are a people that are willing to kneel down and touch the lepers like Jesus did. And not only that, but share the good news with them. And, and so just allow me to share something with you about why I'm, I'm I think, being angry about the right things for me. Um, there's two things that make me really, really angry. And I have to focus on this to stay right in my heart. 
and it goes back to fifth grade. When I was a fifth grader, I was surrounded by a pack of little fifth graders that were teasing a young boy um, named Gary Johansson. Gary Johansson had cerebral, uh, cerebral palsy. His arms were twisted in, his leg, his left leg was bent. I can still see it to this day. And this pack of little ravenous fifth graders, myself included, were teasing him. And Gary was laughing until a little girl, my little fifth grade girlfriend, Jennifer, shoved him to the ground. The laughing went up. Gary started to cry. And I went silent. And I am so, the one thing I hate, you know, can Christians hate something? Yeah, I hate this about me. I hate that little fifth grade boy, Frank Williams, fifth grader that stood there and didn't do anything. I mean, I could still see in his eyes to this day, the tears in his eyes. And I, I remember afterwards, I was so broken. I went home and I, I got my favorite Star Wars collection and I got on my bike and I took off over to his house and I was scared to death of his mom that she was going to tear me apart for picking on him. And he opened the door and I said, Gary, I just want to say I'm so sorry. And I started crying. And he came limping out with that limp and he hugged me. And he said, I forgive you. And I gave him this present. And then a week later, he died. And I always tell my boys this and my daughter, I, if you were ever in a situation in school and you see someone like Gary that can't defend himself and you become a part of that crowd that's picking on him and you don't stand up for him, the wrath of God from my heart will come after you like you've never seen before. But if you get in trouble for defending that young man or that young girl that can't defend themselves, you get in trouble. I'll be the first one down there to defend you. And a passage that really resonates for me now because of Gary is in Psalms 82, uh, verse 3, where God just says, How long will you defend the unjust and show partiality to the wicked? Defend the cause of the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Because of the weak, I mean, deliver them from the hands of the wicked. And I, I tell you what, I, I, I'm not angry at those fifth graders. I'm not even, I'm angry at myself. And I never want to stand up and watch someone be demoralized and not do anything about it. That's number one. Number two, this has to do with the church. I'm not interested in fighting people doctrinally anymore, but this I will fight. Um, when I was in a, in a church, we, we moved down to the north end of Las Vegas. And that's it. And we were surrounded by drunks and prostitutes. The North End was a very, very dark area of Las Vegas. And we moved down there in a and Zappos shoes. The guy said, "Hey, I want to give you a church building, and uh, if you'll move down here, I think he felt guilty for running everybody out." And I said, "I'll tell you what, you keep the building. Just give us a place to meet for like five hundred dollars or a thousand a month, and give us shoes and socks and buy us food to feed the poor and the." The hurting. And I'll tell you, some of the meanest people I have ever met were Christians that had to sit next to a prostitute or a drunk, somehow forgetting that that's who we are without Jesus. And I don't, I'm not here to pick a fight with who they were, but this, this is what troubles me the most. There was a young girl, her name was Sarah. I'll just use that name. One night I crossed her path out in front of the Caesars Hotel. She handed me a card. And for some reason, I just kind of went like this and blocked her hand. You can, if you can't see me, I, I hit her hand in, away. I got about five yards away and I just felt seized with conviction for how badly I had treated her. And I went back and I apologized for my stupid behavior. 
And I just apologized. And I said, I want to invite you to come and meet Jesus and then my family. And she said, well, I, Jesus may want me in the building, but I don't think your church will. And I, I pleaded with her to come and she came. But she said to me going in, I just don't think they're going to want me to be there. And she was dressed however she was dressed. And within about a half an hour, she was ready to leave because she said she could hear the whispers and she could see the scorn in the people's eyes. What was she doing here? And she walked out crying and wouldn't come back in. And, and from that day on, it has fueled me not with an anger to fight people, but to fight against being the kind of church that refuses to spend time with the people that we're most like. How can we not stop, compelled by the love of Christ and the mercy and grace that he has given us, and stop and help people? I'll tell you why, because I've heard this from people in the church. If we baptize an alcoholic, that's going to be a lot of work afterwards. And, I, you know, it goes on and on. And it's the propensity of all. And that's why I really believe that we have to bring the Good Samaritan into the Great Commission. Because if people don't know how much we really love them, and if we're not willing to steep, stoop down and to touch the lepers, to bandage the wounds of the prostitutes, to set those captives free and to love them, even if they don't want to get baptized just yet, then our message, I think, falls on deaf ears and becomes a 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. We're just a resounding gong, we're a religious gathering of loud music and scriptures that we're, not, you know, that we're afraid to live out. And, and so I want to inspire you tonight that for Gary, for all the Garys in the world that can't defend themselves, church, I just want to inspire you because of your faith and the Son of God who loved you and pulled you and I out of the darkness. I was a prostitute. I was a drunk. I was a man that was sleeping around. I got girls pregnant. I had, they had abortions. I'm a murdering, sinful wretch. That Jesus reached down into that city that day when I was pleading with him to save my life. And he pulled me out of that darkness and he set me right. And I want that love to compel me to walk into people's lives, no matter who they are, what profession they may have, white collar, blue collar, or poor, bring humanity together and to love them and to bind up the wounds and to passionately set the captives free. How do we do that in Portland? How do we do that in Boise, Idaho? I don't know. Maybe that's a bit too broad for me. I think, how do I become the kind of man? What kind of critical action do I have to take every day? To be the kind of man that picks the right fight, not fighting you or theological differences, but how do we fight for what's most important? How do we fight for Sarah? How do we fight for Gary, who can't defend himself? How do we set these captives free? Well, again, number one, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself up for us. Church, I want us to believe that our view of God's view of us, that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. God sent Jesus into the world not to condemn us, but to set us free, to rescue us, and to give us a mission. Personally, it's a small M. This is the beauty of 1 Corinthians 12, that we are so uniquely gifted. I don't know how to sing to save my life. And when I see Steve up there performing and doing all of his musicals and, you know, dressing up like Saul or Peter or Paul or John or 
whoever it is. I, I marvel at the gift at Lisa. You know, I'm I, at least as one of my heroes because of the conversation that we had a few days ago. I mean, just the, 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 the gentleness of her spirit, the strength of her perseverance, but bringing those two together combined with my, my gifts. I mean, we are a, a formidable team to advance the kingdom of God in a very different way. And, and I want church to you to know that Steve and Lisa and my wife, Julie, and I, we're not hired professionals. We're just guides to really walk alongside with some of the greatest people on the planet to inspire you to find that mission, that created intent, and to inspire you to, to figure out what is that holy discontent, that Popeye moment where you can't, you look out into the world and you just can't stand it anymore to see the oppression, to see the Gary's, you know, being mistreated to see the Sarah's being run out of the church building on Sunday. What drives you to have a, an indignation that doesn't attack people? You turn that anger towards the real enemy, Satan. And because you're so convinced of Christ's love, it compels you to offer up your life as a living sacrifice, both holy and pleasing to God, to abandon your life from this day forward to touching the lepers. It's not the miracle of Jesus of healing that leper. He he healed that leper and he died. He fed the poor and the hungry and they got hungry again. The sick were healed and they got sick again. Lazarus was raised from the dead and he died. No one touches the lepers. What I would want most for my life, combined with the other 80 here in the Treasure Valley, side by side, I'm not above them. I'm not below them. I'm right by their side. And I know that's Stephen Lisa's heart with you in Portland. That we together, when people see us, that they would go, wow, they didn't just preach the gospel. They actually got down on their knees and they touched that leper. They defended Gary, whomever or she or he may be. They stood in the gap for Sarah and they said, you your profession is not what God has created you to be, but boy, you can come into the body of Christ. You can be born again and raised up into a new life. And you, Sarah, and all the Sarahs, male or female, you can change the world for the good. You can change the eternal destiny of men and women all because of the Son of God who loved you, rescued you from the kingdom of darkness, and set you free. I want to ask you to think about something, church. What makes you angry when you look out into the world? And I pray it's not people. Pick, get your eyes on the right enemy. We'll really keep your eyes on Jesus and you'll know who the enemy is. What makes you mad? What's your holy discontent? And then the other question is, what fills you with joy? That when your life is used by God to inspire or change the direction of somebody like Sarah, or you stood in the gap for Gary, or you, you took a stand to fight for the love and the unity of your family versus theological differences. And you said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit my life to this from this day forward. What makes you mad? What fills your life with joy? I pray that it will be number one. You live by faith, certainty in one thing, the son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. That love will inspire you 
that you can't set aside the grace of God because if righteous self-righteousness could get you to heaven, then Jesus died for nothing. I, let's not be the Pharisees that think that we can save ourselves, but that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus and that there's an overflowing gratitude to help to help set Sarah and Gary's and all the rest free. You know, the writer in Hebrews 12 says to do two things, to throw off everything that hinders us and the sin. And I want you to think about this. You're probably fully aware of the sins that you commit. They're not mistakes, they're sin. But I want you to think about this. What are the things that hinder you? What are the things that are dragging you down? What are the things that are pulling you back, that are keeping you from fully living the mission that God created for you to live, the small M that brings you into the bigger M, the, the good Samaritan living out that great commission to love Jesus so much that you're willing to love people back, your brothers and sisters, the Sarahs, the Garys. What are those things that are dragging you back and pulling you down? You know, I one of the things I love about Steve is I remember seeing him in Kiev and I don't know what happened in New York. And just to be honest, I could care. I mean, I care because I love Steve and Lisa, but I didn't know New York. I'm not impressed by titles. But what I'm impressed by is that Steve and Lisa are still in the fight. Through highs and lows, hard times and good times, and they're standing right by your side fighting to make it to the, the, the end goal, and that's Jesus Christ. And as you and I struggle through this life together, and this, you know, the coronavirus, it, I said I wasn't going to say it, but it is what it is. I'm not making light of it. I know some of you have been sick and, and have been affected by this, this virus, but I want to give you something greater to think about because I can't promise you that you won't catch it or something else might not befall you. But I want you and I to think about this in James chapter one and verse 13. I want to inspire you to run this race, throw off everything that hinders you and run this race with incredible resolve. Because in J James chapter one and verse 13, James captures this picture of the man or the woman that perseveres under trial because they know that at the end of this race, Jesus Christ is going to place the crown of life the victorious crown upon our heads. There can be nothing, nothing on this earth that could ever buy or take that glory away from us. There's nothing that will be, I mean, that will just fail to compare to the son of God placing that crown upon your head and saying, hey, Steve and Lisa, well done, good and faithful servant. Because on May 13th of 2020, you drew a line in the sand and you said from this day forward, I'm not going to look back. I'm going to look forward to whomever you may be in the Portland church or the Treasure Valley church. May 13th, 2020, I drew a line in the sand. I recommitted my faith to the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We fought for the Garys and the Sarahs. We were the good Samaritans that lived out the Great Commission. We loved Jesus so much that we were willing to step down and to bandage the wounds of whomever we may come across. And we committed our lives to loving one another so that all the world will know that Jesus is not just stuck up in heaven, but that his people went looking for him 
in all of his great disguises. And I think that's as Mother Teresa would say, in the faces of the poor and the hurting. And I'll tell you what, the poor and the hurting are white collar just as much as they are those that live in different circumstances. But church, I just want to close with this. I want to read 1 Peter chapter 1 to you. And I want to read it to you like this. Peter writes, this is a letter from Peter, the apostle of Jesus Christ. I am writing to God's chosen people who are living in as foreigners in the provinces of Portland. I don't know all the counties and things like that. But to my brothers and sisters in Portland, God the Father knew you and chose you long ago. And his spirit made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace because of his grace, peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his, it is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not just an Easter thing. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you and for me. Pure and undefiled. Beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be re revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. And though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong, through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Portland, you love him even though you've never seen him. I know that about you. You love him even though you have never, never seen him. Though you do not see him now, this is God's love language. You trust him. You rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And the reward of trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about his gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time and situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when, they, when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his greater glory afterwards. They were told that their message were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is, a, it is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So prepare your minds, Portland family. Prepare your minds for action and exercise in this godless age self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that comes to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. But the scripture says, 
you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent respect or fear of him during your time as a temporary resident in Portland, Oregon. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the, listen to this, the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. That's what happens to the dollar. It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. So through Christ, we'll close out here. You have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. And so now you must show sincere love for your brothers and sisters in Boise and all around the world. You must show sincere love. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, but will not but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes with the eternal living word of God. I just want to leave you with that. And I want to echo what Peter said. I love you deeply. I love Steve and Lisa with all the sincerity of a renewed heart inside of me. And from my wife, Julie, my children, and from the Treasure Valley Church, we are always here for you. We love you. And we are praying for you with everything we've got until the very end that we will be together with Jesus in heaven. And until that end, we fight and we will fight hard. The right fight. I love you. Frank, we love you. Thank you. Thank you very much for the things you shared. Uh, since you went to First Peter, I want to read a scripture in First Peter chapter 1 uh, that uh, to me, just reminds me of you. Now that you've purified yourselves by obeying the truth, this is First Peter chapter one, verse twenty-two. Now that you purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. And. Uh, Frank, that, that is uh, just one of the, the many passages that sums you up, I think. Someone who, who was, was born again and has a sincere love for uh, the brothers, the sisters. You, uh, you always make me feel your love. I appreciate it. Your love for the Lord tonight, your love for, for hurting people came through. I don't think any of us are going to forget the story of Gary or Sarah. Uh, and uh, certainly I see that it's still... These are still things that, that mean a whole lot to you. But uh, thanks for sharing these things. Lisa, you want to say yeah, something? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Frank. And um, I think that just what you did is you brought Jesus uh, to us tonight and uh, described um, really his, his ways, his ways of thinking, his ways of loving his ways of, um, of reaching to those that are hurting and those that are afraid 
and you really brought it to life. And um, and I'm very, very grateful for that. Uh, reading First um, Peter was so powerful. And, um, and it, it's almost like in each version and each way, it's like it, it just pops. It, it just popped. And, um, and I just feel like it came alive. So I'm really grateful for that. You've become a real friend of mine, and I'm very grateful. I know that um, there's been times that you have um, sort of stood in the gap for me and um, defended me and uh, really encouraged my heart. And I'm really thankful for that. Um, I feel like that, um, you know, that I pray and I think that God answers those prayers through the people around us very often. And so I appreciate your love. Um, and, and tonight, I thank you for challenging us, too. You brought it alive. But also, I feel very convicted. And I think probably all feel very moved and convicted. And during this time to figure out there's so many people hurting that maybe it will help us to not worry so much about ourselves, but look way beyond and look out to the community and what we can do to make a difference. Even those of us that are having to stay at home, those in the church that are quarantined, it's like there are still ways to reach out and to love and to encourage and to stand up for um, for their neighbors. And so I just am grateful, so grateful um, for this message and the power that it, you delivered it with. It really um, encouraged me and I'm thankful for Portland and that it's live streamed, that it's not just Portland and Idaho, but that others can hear it. So thank you. Thank you very much. Well, and I, I would just add, this is, this is or should be a uniting sort of message. We can, we can get distracted by all sorts of things that really aren't as important as the love we're supposed to have for one another and how that love is supposed to overflow into the world around us. When you walked into that devotional and everybody's holding hands and you're like this, you didn't say it this way. But like, this is too good to be true. Who's messing up in here? Well, when we are holding hands the way we're supposed to, that love that overflows to the world, it, it is incredible. It, it is unbelievable. And uh, the, other side of that coin is when Christians are hypocritical or are not united or are not loving each other sincerely, that spills out into the world as well. And people are able to say, I don't want to have anything to do with that kind of religion and, and rightfully so. So uh, it was uh, it was good for you to make us think of these things. You reminded me this isn't a commercial, but this is a book I'm starting to read. Uh, uh, Informed. This is a. Uh, 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 Doug Jacoby, uh, Joey Harris, uh, they wrote this book and it's, um, uh, Doug and I've been talking a bit uh, about a number of things. This book is one of the things he, he's encouraging everyone. If you only read the first and the last chapter of this, of this book, it would be good. It's essentially, um, a book that talks about, uh, battling false doctrine. But for a lot of people, when they pick it up, they think that the false doctrines that that Doug and Joey are going to be talking about are really things that are petty uh, compared to what they're talking about. And it, 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 their thoughts take us take us back, I think, to the thoughts of, of men like Peter and and Paul, the women and the men, you know, two thousand years ago following Jesus. For them, 
false doctrine had so much more to do with the divinity of Christ and the lifestyle of Jesus and the fact that we're saved from our sins and we're supposed to be out of the sinning business, not in the sinning business, as old time preacher said. So uh, I know you to be someone that doesn't uh, doesn't agree or need to agree with all of your brothers and sisters to love all of your brothers and sisters. Right. And uh, so it just reminded me of these talks. Of the we're going to be reading this book, uh, a number of us, and uh, somehow we're going to make it available to anyone in the congregation that wants it uh, informed. But uh, you talking, it, it did remind me uh, remind me of that because it, it. I don't know how much people's ears pick up when Lisa says, "And you've defended me." It, it's not like we get attacked a lot, but there's certainly there's there's some issues that brothers and sisters are talking about. Uh, some maybe are debating them a little bit more than others, but they're 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 nothing that if men and women are willing to sit down and honestly talk and pray and reason with another, one another, they're things that don't have to divide people. They're, they're reasonable things to talk about. And, and uh, I've thanked you privately. I can thank you publicly. I know there's been a number of times that people have felt uh, disagreeable, but we're not necessarily talking to the right people about it. And I, I respect you and appreciate you as someone that says, Hey, you know, if you got something to say to someone, say it to, say it to them and, and you, you yep. do it, you do it not, not to start a fight, but to, to make peace and to bring people together. And, and I really, I appreciate that yep. a whole lot. Yeah. I, I think just to say one thing about that, I, the one thing that was false about my life was when Tom Jones in Nashville, Tennessee, taught me about the kingdom of God. And I took that beautiful message and weaponized it and turned it into a fighting tool against my brothers and sisters. I mean, I took the most beautiful message and made it false. People didn't see it in my life. And that's, that's what broke me coming up here. And there can't, there's just for an unbelieving world to believe our love that inspires and bears the fruit of unity is such a powerful testimony to the sovereignty of God, like unlike anything we've ever seen. And, and to that end, I'm just deeply committed to the two of you and to the church in Portland. Well, I thank you. This this bears talking about a little bit, and I'm going to try and fill in some spaces of some of the stuff you said. And if I get this wrong, then please please correct me. Uh, in our fellowship for years and years and years and years, most folks have been around a little while, uh, even know this. We've had a series of studies. And uh, one of the studies that we did with, with people was called the kingdom of God. And a few years ago, Tom Jones, Tom and uh, was it Steve Brown? Was it Tom and Steve yeah. uh, wrote a book? There we go. The kingdom of God. I've got it right in here. <laughs> and I'm bringing this. I'm, I'm I am a. I am elaborating on this uh, for for a very specific reason. Uh, you won't know two more uh, peaceable men than Steve and Tom. I've known Steve since college, and uh, Tom, of course, I've known since we started churches together back, you know, hundred years ago. Uh, these are super peaceable guys. The the book that they wrote, The Kingdom of God. Uh, and here, correct me if I'm if if I'm saying it wrong. It's it's 
it's said in a, in a very loving, good way, and it's very scholarly. Uh, it's readable. It's 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 not. I mean, I'm not trying to make it sound like it's it's you know uh, too highbrow. Uh, they're smart guys, but it really is written to correct uh, some things that we've taught for years and years. I think is that is it fair to say it that way to 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 give a to give a bigger picture of some things that that we have maybe uh, said maybe not in the best way or, or a little bit little bit off to one side or the other. It, it, would you explain it that way? You want me to? Uh, no, I want you to say it your way. But I mean, what would you say to what I said? Yes, you're you're correct. Um, but it's done with gentleness and with respect. Tom Tom tried for many years to get me to in Nashville to spend time with the Christian church and the church of Christ guys. And I always thought he was a plant to try to get me to join them. And one day this, you know, elderly, but powerful man of God grabbed me and put in me, put me in a car. We drove out to Franklin, Tennessee. He took me to a baseball field and he sat me down in his chair and he looked me straight in the eyes. And he said this, he said, the kingdom of God is not the church. And up until that point, gosh, I think that may have been it's 26 years now. I, I don't know. I think maybe 16 years of my Christian life had believed that it was. And there was just this real peace about it. We didn't fight. We didn't argue. And they uh, they actually pulled me into a, a series called The Kingdom of God and allowed me to. They did it to teach me. They didn't do it because they needed me. They just did it to teach a arrogant young man like myself at the time. And, um, they walked, they walked through with that with me and not to pick a fight. Um, but just to help me to see that and to pull some of these arrows out of my heart that the way we judge each other in the church and how successful we are, those things are not as important in and as much as being able to love and to do things that go against the human nature, basically the Sermon on the Mount. So yes, it was a an expansion of my view that, that that it's not about Sundays and midweeks or Bible talk, um, and that my discipleship was a bit myopic, very myopic, and that I needed to to grow and get a bigger view of Jesus. Mm-hmm. When I first read this book, it was life changing. This com this this uh, concept was very powerful, yeah. and I loved it. And uh, Steve and I both read it, and we loved it. And um, and and I don't know that like every detail, you know, it's the kind of thing that you can read. And the way they present it, it's almost like you have to decide then if you agree or not. And but they help you figure out how to decide some of those things, which was really really helpful. But um, it, there, and I liked uh, the part two as well. And uh, it's like there, it's a bit of a series, this Kingdom of God. But we bought the book for um, like several of the leaders in our congregation. Like we bought several and, and just because the, the beginning of it is just this premise of, can you accept that you might be wrong about something? And that was one of my favorite parts is just that, that concept of questioning is okay. 
And that's how they begin with just this powerful questioning is okay. In fact, it helps you to grow. If you'll challenge your beliefs, question, and then study and pray and study and be patient, you will, you'll have a lot of things that will just uh, be unearthed and you will learn. So I love the basic concept was that that idea of questioning and looking at what we believe and and not just thinking, oh, well, of course we're right, but instead restudying concepts and different uh, beliefs and be willing to look at them and to restudy. So I love that, especially, I know. Well, I, I love, I love when people get old and they still admit there's things to learn. Yes. or older and admit there's things to learn. And for, for what it's worth, I believe the church is part of the kingdom of God, uh, without a doubt, that when you become part of the church and you, you are able to be part of God's kingdom, the, the thing that that needs to be emphasized or can't be emphasized enough is God's always had a kingdom. God will always have a kingdom. And the role that the church that belongs to Jesus has played is very important to us and being part of a kingdom. But what what I saw in the book that uh, Stephen Tom wrote uh, is that they help deal with a lot of passages that that essentially are troublesome, are problematic or refute some of the in a box kind of teachings we had about about exactly what what it meant uh and so it was just one of the many things that opened me up uh to a lot of things i needed to be open to in regards to we, we haven't got everything figured out uh and we probably never will <laughs> which then leads me not that it's unimportant to learn things these are very important things and we should study but it leads me to think that our salvation and our purpose in life and our unity and our love for one another cannot hinge on agreeing on every little nuance about the scriptures. Yeah. Uh, because you and I can agree, we can talk all day and we can agree on 10 things and then get to the 11th thing and you be and you disagree with me well that means that you're the heretic frank you're the <laughs> you're wrong and i can't have anything to do with you and uh the the thing that i learned uh well the thing that 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 tom and steve added to the learning process uh is huh we need to be free to have honest inquiring minds searching the scriptures for the truth not just trying to prove every nuance of our fellowship's catechism is absolutely right. Yeah. Because we're, we're just not always right about everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I heard you say a while ago is that your relationship with Tom helped you understand rather than take a new teaching and use it to beat people over the head with the idea you've been wrong. And this is rather than that, you you eventually got to a, a path of peace on it. And for me personally, uh, I know that there's uh, been too many times I've been guilty of not explaining myself clearly enough where people thought I was, uh, I, I don't know, trying to make a fight or, 
or call people wrong. And, and uh, I know that my mind has changed about a number of subjects. There's one subject in particular that people that's on people's minds, but my mind has changed about a ton of stuff. Uh, and I personally have to figure out a way to own up to the feeling that I've been wrong and I'm sorry and I don't want to be wrong. And I want, I, but I need to say that in a way that doesn't make other people think that I'm saying that they're wrong and they have to agree with me, if, if that makes sense. That's, and what you said made me want to elaborate on that a, a little bit more. But you know what? Tom helped me to do. See this guy right here. <laughs> this is this is this is my favorite. I don't like the movie, but I I I, I get this guy right here. What was the movie? I'm, I'm I'm I'm. It's that child movie that my my daughter loves to watch. The different emotions, the little joy. Oh, oh, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that'll that'll put you to sleep in two minutes. Um, um, I'm not a big deal. I'm not. I'm not, I don't want to be a big, I, I wanted to be a big deal. I've always never wanted anybody to step on me and belittle me and to do what I did to Gary. But what Tom taught me most that's most important is I'm not a big deal. I am so blessed to be a part of a, you know, just to be his son. Yeah. I think it's probably good for you to feel that way. And for all of us to think of that way about ourselves, but I, you're a big deal to me. You're you're a big deal to the people that love you. Yeah. And uh, a big deal to me. And to the Lord, and, and that's enough. Let's continue to be careful and and uh, and pray for folks. Uh, and uh, remember, uh, I, I I first hope everyone is staying connected to your small groups. Uh, if there are any folks in our congregation, uh, especially that are in need of anything, let's all. Uh, be good members of the body and make sure that we're aware of it and that we know what's going on. But uh, again, Frank, thanks for for reaching out all the way from Idaho and being here with us. Uh, we appreciate you very much. And I'd just like to encourage everybody, let's, uh, let's read 1 Peter uh, the rest of the week between now and Sunday. How about we all read 1 Peter? Uh, think about Frank's words. Think about the words of the Apostle Peter. And let's uh, incorporate them in our lives in these next few days. Uh, to everybody, as always, keep yourselves in the love of the Lord. Carl, you want to play us out? And Jenna, turn us off. listening to audio from the Portland Church. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to our ministry, please visit www.portlandchurch.org.